0: Greetings everyone, welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple, to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics, ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, once again, welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I'm your host, Carl Keller, along with the man with that knows so much and doesn't share near enough in the short amount of time that he has every episode <laughs> matt mcneil how are you I doing thought,
0: that, i thought you were going to say the man with the nose and then just leave it no. at that
1: no like the nose nose that would have been more accurate Oh <laughs> uh, well, no, the man never with the nose
0: <laughs> how's your week been week's been good man it's been awesome um had a birthday uh which was good i took the i took uh it was your birthday some- yeah it was my birthday
1: oh you didn't share that's
0: nah, okay and uh yeah it's been it's been it's been good Talked to my mom Had a good good conversation i thanked her for for uh carrying me around for nine months and
1: <laughs> giving me the <laughs>
0: gift of being alive um here
1: you, here you go
0: you know so it was uh yeah i think week's been good we had a v1 meeting um which was great thought it was we covered um we talked a lot about psychological algorithms, and um, so it's a good week. How's your week? How's the chaos?
1: Um, it's 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 regimented. Um, my daughter seems to have found herself uh, a love interest.
0: Oh Jesus! I don't know what it is with my kids now.
1: <laughs> I, my son is dating someone who's from England, and she's visiting us. And now my daughter's gotten interested in someone from England, and she's going to go over and visit him. So, I, so yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's, the good English.
0: It, all right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's uh, that's something you're going to have to figure that one out. Well, I would. Well, I tell you not. what, it's I mean, not
1: like just g- having them come across a state line or a country, uh, cross country. They're coming across the pond. So they're going it's,
0: across the pond. Yeah, this is not where, an where easy you day. can't interfere. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but Mama can.
0: Oh, <laughs> I suppose that's um, true. But,
1: All right. right. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Why don't we get into it? Uh, we got a great question. It's uh, it's got quite a bit to it. Um, So I know that you're going to sink your teeth into it and chomp away for for quite a bit on this one. Um, So I'm just going to read it to you and then we can dissect it afterwards. Um, Great podcast, guys. Here's my question. Since professional flying is so regulated, rehearsed, and laid out for pilots, isn't it easy to become complacent and turn ourselves Mm -hmm. on autopilot? You talk about concepts around peak performance. However, I'm unclear as to what the end goal is in our profession as airline pilots. Is it not to crash, not to get violated? We have so many systems in place to ensure that isn't a likely outcome that I think it's difficult for professional pilots to stay motivated, especially after they've been on an airplane for a long time. What does aiming at improving out in performance look like in terms of practical steps? Mm -hmm. Sorry for being so long-winded on this and sorry if my question is a bit vague and confused. Can't wait to see you go down the rabbit hole on this and have Carl pull you out. Have a nice <laughs> day guys and thanks for all you do. Boy, I don't know if I may need a lot to pull you out of this one cuz this that's got to be a different.
0: really good question.
1: So Abound the first one, question. Yeah. First part is isn't it easy to become complacent and turn ourselves on autopilot?
0: Yes. Uh just I mean you uh, tell what do you think, Carl? I mean, you're a pilot, you're a professional pilot like me. What I uh, yes, I think it's very easy to just just sort of lay back and once you got can, it, you got it and it sort can of read the USA today. You no, know? it
1: can, especially on international flights where uh, over the ocean there can be long gaps and you're all you're doing is waiting for the next waypoint where you're gonna have to make a report or um fill out uh some paperwork. So it can be, and and the thing is. Um, I guess it's just part of, to me, that's part of being a professional is that you hold yourself to the standard going, well, I I took a lot to get the certificate. And it's because I'm being a professional about what I do that I look at going, okay, when our piloting skills very often are not as important as they once were, because we have all these uh, extra um, uh, systems now to to, to help us, whether it's mm-hmm. autopilot, TCAS, you name it, weather radar. But we become we, we have to use our brains more, I think, to think downrange and, and to anticipate issues, whether is it, it and, and the, in the U.S., whether your ATC is getting backed up, there's weather, there's delays, people, are they diverting, what's our fuel like? Uh, those anticipations will make an unexpected event uh, more manageable if you've already kind of preloaded yourself with stuff because you're listening on the radio or you're seeing things or you're getting updates from dispatch kind of going what's going on uh i think that's the key is is to keep yourself mentally engaged looking forward because what's happening at that moment is being taken care of most of the time except on arrival and departure when it's a very in the moment moment but when you're at altitude you're kind of forecasting you're looking at what the weather's doing you're looking at all those things, so. Uh, it is easy to do you just have to go okay well, what's what's coming up what's going on and i think right. that will help it, it always helped me to kind of get me out cuz if you're thinking about the moment it's going well there's not much to do right and you are right you can get on all of a sudden kind of go on on autopilot you know, emotionally intellectually also yeah.
0: i think that it's a cr- there's so much to this question we could pro- we'll probably spend a couple maybe a couple of podcasts on this one alone, as I'm just kind of listening to you talk about it, I'm realizing there's just so much to this. And this is going to apply to our listeners that are surgeons, that are CEOs, that are attorneys, litigators, and in terms of your craft, even if you're an electrician, I mean, it doesn't matter, construction worker, your craft is your craft, right? That's what you do. And the question, so the I would say start with the end goal in mind, let's, let's, let's approach it from this perspective. And we'll just use pilots um, since we can speak to that uh, easily. And since the person that asked the question was a pilot, I want to address the pilot community, but I hope that other listeners will be able to interpolate that into their, into their, uh, their craft.
1: Let me throw one last thing in so that everybody can relate. And that is driving a car. Think About how long you wonder how you got from point A to point B, you did it. You were kind yeah. of on autopilot. Yeah, so well, it's we'll related to incorporate everybody. that.
0: Okay, let's go with that. But but let's, so so start with the end goal. So what is the end goal of your job as a pilot? Now, it's kind of an 80-12, well, it's probably 95-5. 95% is, I just want to go to work. I want to get paid. I want. I don't want to get in trouble. I want to keep everybody safe, and I want to go home. And I think that's the autopilot crowd right i come in i figure out what i need to do and i just kind of that's what i do and that's the limit that i've reached and it's the is the end goal i don't want to die well of course like we don't crash we don't want to get violated we don't want to hurt people you know like that's but to me like that's child's play um that of that that's built into the your basic oath. It's like a doctor's to do no harm, right? I mean that's okay. But if that if it stops there, to me, and I'm gonna be kind of a judgment judgmental a-hole here, but like that's kind of weak. Like that's fine. If that's who you are, that's great. But that's not the peak performance crowd.
1: I think it's more like a risk mitigation when they think of that. They're just trying yeah, to just the bare minimum.
0: Yep. Just just bare bare minimum. And that is that is most people. But When I'm, if I start with the end in mind, I want my career, whether I'm doing this or whether I'm flying airplanes or doing whatever, I want to be able to have the satisfaction that I got to the, as close to mastery as possible. And I, I had a sense of engagement that put me in a peak state of mind. And this is where we can get into flow states. We have not covered flow. Um, we've, we've touched on it. And that's probably something that we need to talk about at some point. Because flow is an amazing feeling. And creativity and and evolvement comes out of flow state. So, uh, but let me just come back. So my goal, end goal, is to say I was fully engaged. And I became as good as I could possibly get. I, I had expressed the best version of my own, of who I am and my own capabilities when I'm done. That's, that's my goal. And peak performers have that same goal, I think, as well. So if you just want to get by and it's like an office space, right? I don't know if you ever saw the movie Office Space, but um, do the bare minimum, right? That, then that's cool. You can, you can do that. But I'm not. That's not. Oh, I'm not really interested in that. So let's go. Let's talk about the other part. And I'll tell you this. I'm. I'm just thinking. This just popped in my mind. Remember that um, Qantas A380 that had all those problems, and that the guy was able to uh, Chris or I can't remember what his name was, but I, I, I read his book. He, he was able to get the the thing on the ground, and they put he and his crew. I should say. But they put other crews in the simulator and nobody could do it. And part of the reason that he was able to do that is this guy is a peak performer in every sense of the word. He studies five hours a day, just every day. That's how much he t- he takes his craft, his art, his job, his profession seriously. He's so deeply engaged because he wants to be as close to mastery as possible. And they said, you know, if he hadn't have done that, because it was a new airplane, it was sort of almost like on the test program, you know, and if he hadn't had the knowledge that nobody else really had, there's no way they would have been able to get that thing back on the ground Uh, in the way. I will be the
1: first to acknowledge that, that uh, uh, that's uh, a worthy goal to aspire to, but that is truly like you say, that is at the extreme end of the profession Mm -hmm. because the majority of people Fall somewhere between at a lower end of that. Still, maybe it take their their crap very seriously, but that, I'll tell you, that pilots don't that, take you know, their, that's it. that's the rarity in that regard. Pilots
0: lean on their on their experience. They don't take their shit seriously because they cram for. They're asking for gouge. They're asking to you know they cram right before their CQ. I see this all the time at all levels, and and then or they'll say, <laughs> this always killed me. They changed, they moved up my my check ride. I'm not ready. What what do you mean you're not ready for your check ride? You should be ready every time you get in the airplane.
1: Every time the FAA comes on board, it's a check It's ride. like
0: absurd. Yeah. It's like every time you get in the plane, it's a check ride. What do you mean you're not ready for your V1 cut? You should be ready for your V1 cuts every time you take the runway. So and it's so people have a there's a motivation problem. And I think it's because they don't know what the end goal is. And they, they, they really haven't ex- experienced, you know, peak state. They have moments of it, but I say, start with the end, the end in mind, and then determine what you want your career or your craft or your art to look like. If it's just to do the bare minimum, then this conversation may not be that engaging for you, but if you want to get more out of it, then let's talk about how do you do that? I, I, w- um,
1: I want to say what, when you talk about every time you take the runway, you know, be you should be going through all the steps. If you have a V1 cut, I think, uh, I think part of the problem, if you want to say, and it's a good problem in one regard is that the fact is the systems have become so reliable that yes. the, 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 the time frame between one event and another event is gotten so long that we've become comfortable and expect the systems to work because they've, they work so reliably and that can set you up for that fall because you expect it to be like every other flight you had. And, you know, and it's, it's the law of probability sooner or later, the number comes up, but the number has gotten so small and it takes so long. Um, and and maybe that's part of the reason why you're seeing some of the issues with, with the FAA and uh, um, ATC and and aircraft now with all these near misses is, is have we become too complacent and too comfortable with the technology and the reliability of it, you know, that can fall into that complacency and being quote unquote on autopilot. Cause right. you just, you expect it to work like it always has.
0: Right. And pilots are, are they un- undoubtedly they're pushed out of the loop. Um, and so you've almost got to fight. You have to fight your way to stay in the loop because there's so much automation and there's so much procedure, but I'll tell you this. Um. There is going to be an accident because there are so many near misses that are happening um with airlines with with ATC like there something is going and and the lack of experience that is coming that is that is here there is going to be a, a something b- because people are so checked out and, and they're 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 out of the loop with the processes and the systems that we rely on. An accident is coming.
1: Just this uh, morning, I read about uh, it, it. It happened in January, but I read about it this morning in an article. A Southwest flight missed an ambulance, uh, a vehicle that had um, misunderstood their their the ATC directions about holding short, and they say the miss was 173 feet. Yep, Width, uh the from a tip to tip of the. Uh, of the wings is 117, I think is what they. So yeah, and think about barely the, the s- just the more was than it, la- the, it
0: was landing, uh, taking off. It was taking off. So at these speeds, th- that's a mere second.
1: Oh yeah, not even it's a, nothing. That's, it's, that's it's, not even a second.
0: It's nothing. Yeah. So there is. It's going to happen. So this is really important in the, within the training paradigm and sort of like what are we doing here? What what's the goal here? So let's. Talk about what is peak performance because I think that's a very misunderstood idea. Um, Anders, there's a guy, a researcher, a, a, a scientist named Anders Erickson. He's the world's leading uh scientist studying expert performance, um, looking at precisely you know, the people who are the best in the world at what they do and how they become the best. And I would say I've looked at that as well within our community. I I really look at what does the best mean? Because again, the standards are there. Everybody meets the standard. If you don't meet the standard, you shouldn't be in there. And hopefully the system weeds those people out. Um, But at a high level, professional level, everybody meets the standard. So then what is the next level of, 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 ability of performance of how much we work uh at things. So we all have the gift. What some of Erickson's research shows that we all have the gift. All of us have the ability. Um, But what sets the amazing people apart from the just the average people, um here's a actually let me pull this up. I've got some quotes.
1: Well while you're doing that, it reminded me of what we were talking about just before we started the podcast. And I think part of what helps set people apart, mindset.
0: In, for sure, mindsets. Mindsets huge. Mindsets huge, right but mindset. not enough. You you gotta you gotta execute. But,
1: but if you have the mindset that I'm gonna do the best to be the professional and be at the top of my profession, versus I'm just going in there to get the paycheck. Right. That but to me, let me mindset.
0: But let me say this: mindset's the first step. But you want to be peak performance, you got to know how to do that, and so that's what I'm going to try to unpack today. So let me read this quote. He says, "With this truth in mind, uh, we all have the gift. Uh, with this truth in mind, let's return to the question that I asked at the beginning: Why are some people so amazingly good at what they do?" And I pulled this out of one a book that he wrote called Peak, which is a kind of like the most important book on peak performance, other than uh, Cheek sent high's book on flow. Um, Over the years of studying experts in various fields, I have found that they all develop their abilities through dedicated training that drives changes in the brain, and sometimes depending on the ability in the body, that makes it possible for them to do things that they otherwise could not. Yes, in some cases, genetic endowment makes a difference, particularly in areas where height or other physical factors are important. A man with genes for being five feet tall will find it tough to become a professional basketball player. Just as a six-foot woman will find it virtually impossible to succeed as an artistic gymnast at the international level. And, as we will discuss later in the book, there are other ways in which genes may influence one's achievement, particularly those genes that influence how likely a person is to practice diligently and correctly. But the clear message from decades of research is that no matter what role innate genetic endowment may play in the achievements of gifted people, the main gift that these people have is the same one we all have, the adaptability of the human brain and body, which they have taken advantage of more than the rest of us. So what he's saying is, is that genetics may be a, a factor, but in terms of airline flying, not really. That's kind of like the skill. Do you have the the right stuff in terms of the ability to do things? That has to baseline has to be there but we all have the ability to take it to the next level all of us so then what how do we do that so let's start to think about w- what are the the necessary steps to be to go from average to peak mindset is part of it you have to have the rationale and the desire and be in the right mindset to do that but in terms of some mechanics it's how you practice and practice is not just in the simulator I always would, and I, I tell my clients and I've told myself when I was flying is every time I go out there is a chance to practice. It's not just in the simulator and you can just sit and read the USA Today and stare out the window, or you can try to stay engaged. So what, what Erickson talks about is this concept of purposeful practice purposeful. And it's got several characteristics that set it apart from what we might call he he labels it as naive practice, which is essentially just doing something repeatedly and expecting that repetition alone will improve your performance. So that 90% of just the guys that are just on autopilot, they're just they're they're in the naive practice category. They're just kind of it's just the we we do the same fight over and over it's the repeated steps. And part of the, the, the rehearsed, you know, checklists are done in a very specific way and flows are done in a very specific way. It's become so rehearsed that it pushes you into naive practice because it's so It's so regimented. So you got to fight hard to stay into purposeful practice. Um, so, Let's start by thinking about what won't help you take advantage of, of adaptability. So naive practice, simply doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get better. That does not work. An example. So let's talk about driving. You you mentioned driving a car. You may think that more experiences you have driving, the better driver you are, or the, you know, if you're a surgeon, the longer you've been a surgeon or a pilot, the longer you've been a pilot, that that makes you better, but that just isn't the case. Simply doing something again and again does not lead to adaptability and improvement. And so we need to be purposeful plus deliberate about it, which leads to purposeful practice. Purposeful, purposeful practice is, is much it's superior to naive practice, but, but not quite as good as deliberate practice, which is what Anders, Anders uh, titles as the, the gold standard is deliberate practice. So let's take a look at, at at purposeful practice. Here's some of its like top qualities. Purposeful practice as defined by Anderson, these are his there's four big big key things. Purposeful practice has well-defined specific goals. That's his first one. So when I'm working with somebody, even in a, C, a CEO is let's talk about what what are the defined uh the, the specific defined goals? How specifically do you intend to improve in this practice session, what will you do? So we need to identify our long-term goals and then break it down into mini goals and then take baby steps in pursuit of that goal. And so it all starts with a specific goal, a target. Makes sense, right? It's pretty logical. Second is uh, the purposeful practice has to be very focused. And uh, Anders tells us that if, if we're calm and relaxed and having fun or kind of sort of you know, going through the motions, we're not really practicing. We need to focus very, very specifically and very intensely. And, and so this is why, you know, Dan Pink, another, uh, another author that's written about performance, um, he says the three laws of mastery. Um, one of the three laws of mastery is that it's, it's, it's painful, (laughs) you know, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta hurt. And I tell people in training, training sucks. It's supposed to suck. It's supposed to be a fire hose. It's supposed to hurt. Um, so practice is, is focused. Third, pra- uh, purposeful practice involves feedback, and so you need to know how you're doing step by step. Did you miss something? Did you miss an item? Did you did you do it out of order? Was the timing of it incorrect? Did you get the flaps down too late? Did you you know visual approaches are a great place to, I think to, to be able to, everything kind of comes together in that, in terms of procedure, in terms of timing, in terms of spatial awareness, those kinds of things. So you've got it, but the point is you've got it to, it has to involve getting some kind of feedback. So you kind of know how you're doing. And then lastly, purposeful practice requires getting out of one's own comfort zone. So if you think about you're just on autopilot, this is just how we, how I do it every time. And speaking of autopilot, Take the autopilot off. Even when you're doing an approach, take it off. Use the flight director, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It's got to be coupled. It's got to be coupled. Does it? Is that written in your ops specs? Probably not. You know, but if you, and then when the time when the autopilot fails on the approach, it becomes much more stressful because you have not gotten out of your comfort zone unless it was in the sim during your CQ event. So you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And so Anders tells us that uh, this is probably the most essential aspect of purposeful practice. And he he one of the quotes he says is if you never push yourself beyond your comfort zone, you will never improve. So I, I think that's that's really true. I mean, yeah, I agree. Think of a time oh, where you you didn't, I mean, every time you've made improvement, you had to have pushed yourself out of your comfort zone.
1: Or circumstances pushed you out <laughs> sometimes. Or
0: circumstances pushed you out. But but the peak performers push themselves out. They don't wait for the situation to arrive. They don't wait for competition to push them out. That's why if you look at, and I'm not a big fan because I'm not a fan of people giving themselves TBIs, but uh, like boxers or um, MMA fighters, they practice with people that can beat their butts I mean, they practice with world champions because they, they want to practice with somebody that's going to kill, that's going to really beat them up. They don't practice with the people who has the potential them. to at least. Oh, yeah. They, 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 yeah. They, they don't, they don't want to practice with somebody weaker. They want to practice with somebody stronger.
1: A good tool that most of the airlines, I would think, I know mine did, is that when you landed, you would have a debrief time Always. where you would talk about. The things that went well, the things that didn't go well, what could we have done better um, and those are things you should put in your toolkit so that, so that you can think and, and you should reflect back on what you just did so, and that is that helps to reinforce to capture those moments when you go, boy, how did I why did I miss that that radio frequency change or, yeah. or call? what was I thinking? what was I doing because Half of it is acknowledging and realizing what it was that caused the problem. Because if you don't even know why you got there or what was going on at that moment, yeah. it's hard to fix what you what you don't even realize was broken. That's that makes right.
0: sense? Yep. Yep. Indeed. It does. It makes perfect sense. So like in a nutshell, the purposeful practice is get outside of your comfort zone, but try to do it in a very deliberate, focused way with clear goals a plan for reaching those goals and a way to monitor with feedback what your progress is along the way and figure out how to maintain your motivation that's where the mindset stuff i think comes into play so the gold standard of deliberate practice so where there's purposeful and then there's deliberate this is what what separates the 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 the, the men and the women from the boys and the girls deliberate practice is is purposeful practice plus having a teacher and going through a very clear training program in an established, in an established way. So sometimes um, you know, flying can be that Uh, I think training CEOs to do that. Training uh, training sales can do that. Training pilots can do that. Chess, certainly sports has Very clear training programs that are where there is, and and so, and this is a key piece where there are established top performers and equally clear means to achieving that mastery. This is a problem in aviation. We don't really have established top performers that we're thinking of. I think we have maybe those pilots that we love flying with, you know, those pilots that you're like, I want to be like that person. I uh, those are the I would define those as the top performers. And there are you know there's that old saying those that can't do teach. Uh, in some respects there's really weak teachers, but there's also teachers in the training center that are those people where you're like that is who I strive to be like that's a top performer. And so start to study those people and and fly with those people and take notes on what they're doing um so that they you know that's something to to aim at. The here's here's something that that, uh, that uh, a pull quote I've got from from what he uh, what uh, what Erickson had said. He said the fact that the human brain and body respond to challenges by developing new abilities underlies the effectiveness of purposeful and deliberate practice. The training of a London taxi driver or an Olympic gymnast, or a violinist at a music academy is, in essence, a method of harnessing the adaptability of the brain and body to develop ad- abilities that would otherwise be out of reach. But when we talk about, remember that gift that we talked about? You have your gift, adaptability, which means, in essence, you can change, you can get better. And Anderson shows, or Anders shows us uh, how and he's got a chapter called "Harnessing Adaptability," in which he walks very step by step through the role homeostasis plays, and how somewhat, you know, ironically, the way we get better is fueled by our natural programming to stay stable. So, oh man, there's just so much there's so much to go through this. So let's talk about building mental representations. This is a big key theme in his research here's a pull quote on what he means by building representations building mental representations what exactly is being changed in the brain with deliberate practice the main thing that sets experts apart from the rest of us is that their years of practice have changed the neural circuitry in their brains to produce highly specialized mental representations which in turn make possible the incredible memory pattern recognition, problem solving, and other sorts of advanced abilities needed to excel in their particular specialties. So what does that mean? To me, it means pay attention. If you want to just sit there, checked out and totally unengaged, you can do that. And you will not remember a single thing about any flight that you've done. I always kept a little journal after every flight. I would write down a couple of key takeaways, a couple of things that I record, a couple patterns that I started to notice. Remember we, we talked about in a previous episode, the frequencies, you know, guys are fumbling around because they don't know what frequency. You've flown that route 400 times. They've given you the frequency in the same order, probably 390 of those times. Pay attention, stay engaged, get your pen out and take notes. And then review your notes and start to look for patterns. Look, what does he say? It says, highly specialized mental representations, which in turn make the incredible memory, pattern recognition, problem solving, and other sorts of advanced abilities needed to excel in their particular specialties. So what separates a peak performer from an average performer? One that pays attention. The more you study a subject... The more detailed your mental representations of it become, and the better you get at assimilating new information. Does that make sense? Yep. That's a key thing building mental representations. Then he talks a little bit about the, this, you know, and this was Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, who some people love his work. I think he's kind of a hack. I think he stole a lot of stuff that did not, it was out of context. He talks about the 10,000 hour rule. Remember that? You probably heard that. Once you hit 10,000 hours, you're a master. The data does not support that. That's total bogus. That's not true. Uh, It doesn't take 10,000 hours. And you can attest, because you flew in the military, these are guys with very few hours (laughs) that are, are flying at very high speeds doing very dangerous, highly technical things. Well, how are they doing that? They don't have 10,000 hours. I mean, a military pilot has a career with, I mean, like very few hours compared to civilian pilots. Well, how do, and I'm not saying they're better or worse, but in terms of the operation, that, that is a much more highly technical operation, which much higher risk in some respects. Yet they can do that. Well, how do they, they, they use deliberate practice when they train them. That's exactly how they do it. So here's what he says about the 10,000-hour rule. By now, it is safe to conclude that many studies on the wide variety of disciplines that nobody develops extraordinary abilities without putting in tremendous amounts of practice. I do not know of any serious scientist who doubts that conclusion. No matter which area you study, music, dance, sports, competitive games, or anything else with objective measures of performance, you find that the top performers have devoted a tremendous amount of time to developing their abilities. So no doubt, you've got to put the time in. You've got, you have to study. Um, and Anders walks through a ton of research, including like he talks about violinists. The, and this is what Malcolm Gladwell pop, popularized in that so-called 10,000-hour rule in his book. Uh, uh, I think it was called Outliers. This There's a lot of controversy around this. But here's basically... Here, here's here's an overview. It doesn't take 10,000 hours. It, it may take you 10,000 hours if you're just on that sort of autopilot to be able to have enough muscle memory to do it. But if you use deliberate practice, you can dramatically decrease the amount of time that it takes to master uh, the, the, the task. And so here's what it says. Here's an overview. This kind of wraps it up. This is the blueprint for getting better at any pursuit. Get as close to deliberate practice as you can. If you're in a field where deliberate practice is an, op- uh, uh, deliberate practice is an option, you should take that option. If not, apply the principles of deliberate practice as much as possible. In practice, this often, often boils down to purposeful practice with a few extra steps. First, identify the expert performers. Find those people. Then figure out what makes them so good then come up with training techniques that allow you to do it as well. So what does that come down to? And it's not probably even necessarily just what they are doing in the airplane. It's how much sleep do they get? How much exercise do they get? How much prep do they do? How do they how do they brief things? Um, you got to look at all of those all of those factors. And so a good way to to let's say you have a for the instructors out there, you have a student that is struggling with uh g- give me an example just let's say what what could somebody be struggling with student
1: um one of the ones i typically saw when uh when we i was uh, helping with new pilots was going from uh aircraft that were at slower speeds to faster speeds and a good example was landing they yeah. were they had trouble Getting the landing picture down, landing either the airplane was too big, too fast. It was just not something they were ever accustomed to. Right. So they struggled with that sight picture, getting the known one to pull the power, uh, all that stuff. That that was I would felt like a lot of times was the challenge was t- to be able to be consistently landing the aircraft, right, uh, competently,
0: right. And so, okay, that's a perfect example. And I always I, I agree landings was the perfect. Uh, I noticed that the airlines it was it was flying a, a visual traffic pattern. Uncoupled. That's very difficult to do, especially if you're not used to. Because the, you know the the, the distances are, are, you know, in at night, <laughs> right? Doing a visual <laughs> approach at night in weather, <laughs> in weather. But let's say no, it's visual, right? Yeah, it's good. Visual. They say yeah, clear for the visual, and you click the autopilot off, and then it just goes, it goes south, super quick. Well, part of it is you're trying to do everything. You're you're trying to do it all as one smooth thing. When the reality is, is that there's probably 10 different sections to that maneuver to get you on the ground. And what you want to do is define out what those 10 pieces are and start with number one and do not move on to step two until you have number one, right? So it may be oftentimes is, okay, where is your seat position? I mean, get hey, your side picture. Get, get your seat position correct first in how you're sitting in the seat. And I will like, okay, I want you to go back to descent profile, put your seat position where it was. Now, where do you decide to put your seat, where do you decide to adjust your seat position at what point point? and how do you adjust it? And I practice over and over and over until you get that part done. Then the next step is, okay, you know, step two, then step three, step four, you don't move on until you have mastered each uh, incremental step. That's called deliberate practice. So it is, um, I see this with like baseball players, pitchers. Start with where do you put your feet? How do you dig your cleats in? Get that first. So step off and then step back. Step off and then step back. And do that over and over until you can lock that in and you know exactly how to get your feet in the position where it is then it is okay how do i put my the, the ball in the glove and how do i hold my my arms in that and then it's step off and step back bring your arms up bring them bring them down step off step back bring, you go back and forth and you do this over and over and over and what you're doing is you're ex- you're 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 decreasing the total amount of time that they're going to need to be able to step onto the mound figure out the pitch put their hand you know find where their where their eyes are looking do their little routine that some people think it's neurotic but it's actually all mindset it's all you know getting themselves from red light to yellow light to green light this is what mental skills coaching is and then getting them to release the pitch and if but if it's just like well just go up there and throw a good pitch that's that's meaning that's meaningless that will take you 10,000 hours to be able to somewhat piece it together. But the problem is by the time you get done with that, you don't really know how you got there. You can't really trace it back to where things, how you built this together. And so the problem with that is, is that if there becomes a problem where all of a sudden you get into a slump and I see this with landings, right? Guys say, I just, all of a sudden, I just can't land well anymore. Well, if you haven't figured out all of those different steps you can't figure out which step is the problem the whole thing just becomes the problem and then what happens is we start trying to reinvent the wheel you've seen this i know you've seen this with other piles right also you're like what are you what are you doing like why are you like just reinventing everything that you're doing here because they don't know which step veered off or that needs to be adjusted and so deliberate incremental practice is is the key to being able to go from average to to totally engaged totally peak
1: the training environments today the curriculums are set up in such a way that it's very difficult to do that where you you break it down and take each component because they're trying to put there's so much that needs to be put into each session sometimes I'll tell you this it's done it that's done a challenge this. I just got to be you can honest.
0: take a, you can take a 10 10 hour Simulator profile, and you can shrink it down to six if you do this. Yes, they they're they're just pushing people through in a literally. I mean, what are the levels of of learning? There's rote, just you know, rote memory, right? A B C D E F G. There's understanding. That's the next level, which is like, okay, I I I can wrote this through, but I sort of get why it's why we. Do that then there's application meaning okay now i can like put it within the system and be able to kind of move it around that's you know that level of learning and then there's the correlative level rote understanding application correlation ruac correlative is the ability to reverse engineer if you want to train a bunch of robots then Make sure that they learn at basically a rote and an understanding level. And I'll tell you this, I talked to instructors at Maine, like that's what they're doing. These guys are they're pushing people through that have z- like, there's no applicative level of their learning. And so they get on an IOE and the and IOE instructors are going, why did you send this person through? They don't know their head from their ass with what is going on. Well, because you train them at a, a rote and maybe an understanding level. Very little application level. Cor- correlative level takes time. I mean, that's where experience helps. But if you start to use deliberate practice, you can actually shorten the training footprint and accelerate the level of learning that they achieve. They'll probably be more at uh, an applicative level than just a rote or maybe an understanding level. I'll tell you, with without a lot of experience, they're going to have to change things. Because well, all
1: the airlines, unfortunately, are hiring like crazy. Like, uh, my airline is hiring fifty a week, two hundred a month. That that those are, that's, the better part of twenty five hundred in a year. That's an amazing number of people to push through. And then with all the seat changes and the equipment changes, it it I hate to say it it it, be, it becomes a churn. of just a you're just it's production line. And it it the challenge is to make sure that that you're giving those people that you're training that level of feedback so that they have all the skills and that they can build on them versus just trying to maintain them but um
0: what I could go wrong kinda,
1: yeah i think we kind of went down the rabbit hole but I, i'm going to go back and just say if i can capture the practical things that are out there and i'm going to dumb them down for me cuz i'm i'm the dummy in this group um and I and I'm going to probably overcharacterize it, but I would say you need to challenge yourself and, and, uh, and always look for ways to be better at what you do. Pay attention. And I would say, also, look for patterns. What else would you throw in there would be, you know, uh, you
0: know. I, I would go back to have well de- start with the end in mind, um, have, have very well-defined specific goals. Make sure that your pr- your purposeful practice is focused purposeful practice. Make sure that there's a way that you have feedback to kind of know that how you're doing, and then get out of that comfort zone. Click the stupid autopilot off, not just when you're in the sim. Of course, we can't practice V1 cuts out online, right? But but get yourself, find out where you're scared and go there under supervision in a controlled way, but get out of your comfort zone. But start with the end of mind. I mean, if, you don't, if, if all you want to do is just do the bare minimum, then this isn't for you. you know, but is that really a good use of your time? Is that, is that where you want to be? I find that life gets really boring. And I remember somebody told me once, every airplane you fly is going to eventually turn into a big, just basically a Cessna 172. And that's the truth. You're going to get bored. And so you might as well take your craft seriously. Take your art seriously and you owe it to yourself just for your own entertainment, but it'll also make you a much better professional with what you do. And that may save your skin one day and save the skin of the person flying next to you.
1: I think we've just about reached the end of today's podcast, but I'm going to throw in a teaser for an upcoming one uh, that isn't quite directly aviation related, but it's something that, uh, um, it seems like if, if, <laughs> if you spend any amount of time in a cockpit, you're going to hear people talk about it anyways, and that's kind of entrepreneurship. And we've mm-hmm. had several questions regarding that. And, uh, I have, uh, I think that there's enough information there and enough questions that in one of our, uh, upcoming podcasts, we'll be delving into them, to that issue. And, um, and there's some little bit of a, um, I think uh, it's going to be a little bit different that even though a lot of the same things are there, I think you'll be surprised and interested in hearing about that because it seems like everybody seems to have a side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's
0: good. It's probably a good idea to have that, but we can start talking about that. We'll let's formulate some questions around that. You know, like we'll look at what people have written in and we can start to delve into that if that's if that's useful from a mental performance perspective, yep. of course.
1: As always, please keep the comments, questions rolling. Um, as you can see, we, we answer them and we dig deep uh, and they sometimes lead down to a path that ends up creating multiple episodes dealing with different fa- of portion, portions of, of the question. So we love to get them from you and we'll focus on those that uh, we feel like we can uh, give some good answers on. If you have a, a question, please send it to podcast at lifteffect.com com until then we thank you we look forward to seeing you on our next one have a great day
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode of the lift effect podcast if you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode go to our website lifteffect.com forward slash podcast if you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.